thank you for being a part of the Undiscussable journey. We're really pleased to bring you this special bonus episode. It means a lot to me and to my mum. We can make law changes, boost resources and overhaul the entire justice system, all of which desperately need doing. But the one thing that's really hit me throughout all of this is actually how damaging our own attitudes can be towards shaming and blaming victims, keeping them quiet, isolated and often polishing over the act of domestic abuse, making excuses for it, for them, and wrapping domestic abuse in false beliefs all of which contribute to it happening. I really hope that by opening up a bit more about my own life, and as part of that, my mum's, it will help to make domestic abuse discussable and not undiscussable, which I have for the majority of my life felt like it was. I honestly believe that it was these attitudes and stigmas that kept my own family in it more than the broken justice system did. Are you having? I have a lot. Um, turmeric. Turmeric. Turmeric active mess. Just going to make a cup of tea and then have a chat. The content you're about to hear might be triggering for some people, so please, as always, do take care. Two years ago, my mum left my stepdad after nearly 30 years. I helped her get away. She not only set herself free, but she also set me free. Just a note that when my mum refers to the flat, this is the temporary accommodation that I found for her due to it being too dangerous to go anywhere near her home. A home that she never saw again. So last time we sat down and I had a record from, you were in temporary accommodation and I was sat at this kitchen table, which was falling apart. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of chatting to you about, this is when I was making Undiscussable. If you look back now, how different do you feel? Oh, it's, I feel like a I actually feel like a different person now. Because when I was in the flat, I was thinking about this the other day. When I was in the flat, it, it's, quite, it's quite emotional talking about it now, really. I, I was right scared. To be emotional about it, though. Yeah, I was just scared. I think I was, we're all scared yeah. sometimes to be yeah. emotional, but yeah. actually, when we block it, I that's when we have problems. Mean, I didn't think it would, but it is. Um, yeah, I was really scared. Just fearful of everything, and also what I was still guarded. I still wasn't saying everything that had happened or gone up. Still wasn't admitting everything to myself, what had happened and how I let it happen, and was very felt very ashamed and guilty. I've sort of learnt to deal with those now. But I know it, it, the, my confidence levels and the, uh, the loving myself and liking me and getting to know me again because I didn't think there wasn't a me. I don't know what I was. Then I sort of, somebody described it about when you was in the relationship. It was like, it's almost as if you were frozen. 
and now you're defrosted. So you've been frozen in this relationship and you weren't allowed to discover who you are. Sounds silly, it sounds like you're at school. But really, if, if you did try and discover who you were, then it was too much trouble, too much hassle to deal with. But I described it as having your wings clipped, like they clip the wings on birds to stop them from flying, to keep them down. Mm. So the way I feel like I like to describe it is I've got my wings now, whereas before my wings were clipped. And I was when I was in the temporary accommodation, I was just beginning to grow them, but it was very slow and it was very painful, which that's the way I, I feel, the only way I can sort of describe it. Why do you think it was painful to grow them? Because that's a really interesting way to describe it because I think a lot of people think that once you get out of an abusive relationship or you, you escape from abuse that, oh, well, it's fine now, it's over. Why was it painful to grow the wings? Was it because you had to face yourself? Yeah, I had to face going back. I'd had the counselling. Obviously, that was the thing that helped me phenomenally. Thank you to Women's Aid and Behind Closed Doors who helped me go through the journey. It's realisation of what you almost let happen, but you didn't have the power to stop it from happening as if you're like on this as if you I, I can't I, I don't know how to describe that and I can't remember what you just asked me um, <laughs> That's right. uh, I know I know yeah, but that happens sometimes when you're talking about difficult things yeah, it's like it is, really common is, yeah like when I went through my psychology sometimes I just I wouldn't remember what she'd asked me or I wouldn't even remember what I was saying yeah. because my body yeah. was so adept and so was my mind at just blocking it mm-hmm. out where you know, it's all, it, It's like I'd got so attuned to do that over the years mm. that I could easily just block it out. But then that meant I couldn't think what I was even talking about. And sometimes now if things get too uncomfortable for me and I actually emotionally attach to it, I don't even, I can't even remember what I'm talking about. Yeah. This can be really common. And as I've done throughout Undiscussable, I wanted to show the reality of the effects of domestic abuse, including losing track of what you're talking about as a way for the body to protect itself from the physical and mental stress associated with the overwhelming trauma of abuse. To cope, we often detach ourselves without even realising we're doing it. In psychology, it's called detach protector. Literally does what it says on the tin. This is what I did as a kid, subconsciously. So by the time I was a teenager, I was cut off from my own needs and feelings. I was withdrawn and what I describe as zombified, basically very distant and spaced out. Sometimes attaching to a powerful feeling can be too much for our brains to cope with. I know a woman who, whenever somebody asks her to open up about the abuse she'd suffered, her eyes go like weirdly heavy and she just falls asleep, entirely out of her conscious control. Her body basically shuts down. When something traumatic happens, our brain functions differently. The normal pathways and emotional responses go haywire, and our body does whatever it can do to protect itself. Back to my mum and the question. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't even know. I always remember when we went out and and I said, I need a kitchen clock. I hate not having a clock. Oh, yeah. And I remember we went to the shop, we were in TK Maxx, and 
and and I was like, I don't know what I like, and it shocked me that I didn't know how to choose what I liked, but I didn't know what I'd like because I had to choose what he liked, and if I didn't choose what he liked, then it was it was not worth the journey of deciding. So I'd learnt not to 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 not know or to be undecisive because I was scared of making the wrong decision because if I made the wrong decision then there'd be shit to pay you'd get the you'd get the 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 walking on it you'd have to walk on eggshells anyway but you'd get the face you'd get the shouting out you'd be called stupid so even the small thing of going and choosing clock and I remember standing there and I'm going I got and you and you went I'm not choosing for you (laughs) and you walked off and I was just like it's so silly but I could not choose and I was like but I like them all (laughs) and I remember in the end I was like I like this one but is this one do I like this one and it was so hard to to know it it sounds anybody go how silly that is but it's not because you lose yourself I lost who I was I lost everything that I liked even down to clothes you know choosing what I like and what I feel comfortable in not what was acceptable for him to see me in or for others to see me in yeah I remember when um, you I worked in Madrid you know I was very young years and years ago when I first started my oh, career I, I know what you're going to say because I remember that I remember that <laughs> it was totally embarrassing but you came back after spending the weekend with me in Madrid and he just absolutely went to town on you and started shouting at you for what you were wearing. Yeah, oh yeah, and there was another family member there at the time and, and this other family member even says to this day, she'll never forget that, ever, just laid into me like a ferocious animal. I walked in the door and it was like, what? Can you remember what you, you were wearing? Yeah, I had a colourful jumper on we bought from, it might have been, but just from one of the shops, it was reduced. And I think already I started making, quite, but but it's reduced already. I was like making the excuses, it's only so many euros. And sort of going into that dialogue of explaining why I've got this jumper on that I chose that I actually liked at the time. It was colourful. I remember liking colours when I was younger. And he just laid into me, look at that, you stupid, what's that? What? No, I walked in and he went, what have you got on? Mm. And that immediately put me into, oh, okay. And, and nothing like, oh, you're here, great, nice to see you, did you have a good time? Nothing, but also, don't know if I told you this, but also while we were in Madrid, he'd also laid into me into a, on a phone call while I was there. Um, no, I didn't know that, yeah, but it doesn't yeah. surprise me. Well, it doesn't, it always did, didn't it? Because he was too jealous. Uh, but, yeah, so that was due to a jumper I'd chosen. So it, it then, actually, when I think about it now, I'm just like, it, it's just dawned on me. He used to go out and choose my clothes for me. Jim and I used to say he's so good at shopping. Yeah. Yeah, because he didn't like you wearing anything that, I don't know, was nice or fun or colourful or attractive. And I mean, you're attractive in a bin bag, but it's those silly things. <laughs> Thanks, love. Um, <laughs> Putting a bin bag on tomorrow. <laughs> no, I know, yeah. I mean, I was shot down quite a lot 
you know, if you're walking through the door with a bit of confidence, you manage to gain a little bit of confidence, then it's shot down straight away to make sure you're on the floor. It's like, you know, making sure, clipping your wings, making sure you're the shit on the floor. So, but they do that to be able to have power over you and then they have to do all those behaviours to then retain that power. Yeah. yeah, well, it's... It's what I was so used to was being shouted at ridiculed and made to feel very small and then you'd then get the the niceness so then you'd think oh it's going to be nice now things are going to be okay it's just a cycle you go through you, you it's going to be okay it's going to be good he's going to be good and he's going to be the perfect husband that I've always wanted the perfect family that I was desperate just desperate for and then it'd start again, the cycle. Then it'd be horrible, or whatever instant it was. It'd be out of the blue, out of nowhere. I was just going to say, that almost makes it worse, because I remember that that even when he was nice, it was almost more uncomfortable, yeah, yeah, because you was. were like, oh, oh, what, it, why is he being nice? What's he going to do? Yeah. When's it going to... When's it gonna check? It was almost like you were more on tender hooks when he was I being was nice. On all the time. I used to have a massive, massive right neck ache. I'd I'd have this massive lump in my neck, my right of my neck. And even though in that first year of being in that accommodation on my own, I never got that shoulder ache. It was weird. That shoulder ache does not touch me anymore. Yeah, because trauma is felt in your body. Oh. The stress of trauma is in the body. Muscles are tight, breathing is tense, and adrenaline runs constantly in a situation of fear. The body remembers. I have this like picture of you as this stooped over, like wounded bird that never stood up straight, and and you had this like just look always in your face as if you were, I don't know, like almost sometimes vacant, but also startled and yeah. and across between so many different looks and it's so vivid in my head but it's funny because you just you know you held yourself in a way that that was just half of your actual size yeah and as a kid it was really hard to to watch that yeah I can imagine I can see it now I can replay how I was but I wasn't able to do that before I always remember, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I always remember thinking there was something I had to change, there's something needs to change, and this is towards the end. This is like, towards the end, not the beginning. At the beginning I was so in it, trying to keep the peace, keeping the peace, keeping the peace, walking on eggshells all the time. I remember looking at myself and thinking, I'm so skinny, I was about seven stone. Just using so much energy, this is the beginning. That's really um, common, actually, with a lot of the yeah, um, survivors that, that I've spoken to. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realise that it was that I was so skinny. In fact, when I was at a friend, I remember she pointed to a photograph and she went, oh, look at that, you, that's you. And I saw the photograph and she was smiling. And my friend said, oh, what a lovely photograph. And I looked at that photograph and I hated it because I remember exactly how I felt. I was really skinny really gaunt, pale, massive dark circles under my eyes. And I remember how horrible I felt and how much at that time 
he had absolutely emotionally abused me in front of you and your brothers when they were small and I was just trying to keep the peace trying to um, not brave enough to go didn't know what to do like scared you know, uh, what, I can't go. Uh, you know, what, why is he behaving like this? had no idea why. He changed me. Changed me into some somebody else. Like this scared... Not, I used to love having so much fun. Um, yeah, it just changed me into a scared, stooping, skinny. And then if I ever put weight on, that's because then I would binge. And I didn't realise that was also normal. Yeah. Like binging yeah it's like self-soothing yeah yeah making myself feel sick and because you're so low in energy you're thinking you should more food down your face you'll have more energy to cope with it you know being emotionally abused though you know never mind you know physical things as well it it really really exhausts you and really drains you made me like a child though i'm gonna get all upset again (laughs) made me like a child i remember like it's funny how you laugh no. So, yeah, but that like even that's like a I do that too is a yeah, coping I mechanism. Noticed, yeah, you do. Yeah, it's a coping. Like mechanism. when you feel upset, you kind of make a joke oh, about gosh, it. Just look at me cry. I don't know what it is because it's hard to go back. It's hard to go back because I never ever want to feel those feelings again. And now sometimes I'm walking along and I do this thing where I look over my shoulder and I'm like, I've done it. I am where I am. And it feels good, and I've got that cheeky little grin on my face when I'm cycling to work, and I feel free, and it's the most wonderful feeling to feel free, and not walk into work feeling like I've got this massive rucksack of bricks on my back, of thinking, it phoned me at lunchtime, and uh, every lunchtime, and a friend once said, oh, it's so nice, and I just said, I won't swear, but I I just said, no, it's not nice, it's horrible. He used to phone her to check up on her all the time. Eventually you moved to a different city and I went and lived with Nan and Grandad because I wasn't allowed to come. So that was a form of isolation. He made sure that you were on... Yeah, that we were separated. Yeah, but do you know what I remember thinking when we moved? I've told you this, it's like when we moved to Leeds, I mean, I still don't know uh, what on earth struck me to agree to that. I don't know, but... Yeah, but it wasn't like he just struck you to agree. It was, he worked on you for ages and ages. for a long time. To try and get you to leave. I thought was, oh yeah, he'd work on it and tell me his ideas so they'd become sort of part of me. His opinions were my opinions. And I remember thinking, well, at least you get away from him. When, I, when you stayed at Nan Grandad's, I remember thinking, well, at least you can, you can get away from him. But it just made it worse, because I remember going there, and he he was all Mr Smoothie, because it was a new life, and nobody knew really what it was like over there. And yeah, all but my it friends, wasn't a new life, because it, it just carried on. It was on. the same thing. It, nothing changed. In fact, it got worse. Nothing changed. So much happened including him doing everything to isolate my mom, even moving her and not letting me move with them when I was still a teenager at school. But I don't want to touch on too many specific incidents because domestic abuse is something that happens every day, often subtly over time, 
to the point where all he needed was to give a certain look and that was enough to create a gripping fear due to everything he'd already done, everything he conditioned us to fear. I remember having the counselling with Behind Closed Doors and when I first left, I was so scared that I would go back because, as you know, I, I desperately wanted to leave and tried to leave, but it, I still wasn't brave enough. But you keep saying that. I know you're going to tell us about your counselling, but like twice so far you said I wasn't brave enough. It's like putting it on you. But there's so many people, it, it's a majority, that are in abusive relationships and it's so hard to leave them yeah, and I don't think it's about I don't look at you and think you weren't brave enough I mean you know I've had some anger towards you about certain things yeah, and yeah. that stuff that we we've worked on and we've been mm. working on mm. but at the same time it's almost like again we put his behavior on you it's like well you weren't brave enough to leave and it's yeah, like yeah. well actually what about why was he doing all that like it was his fault it was his behaviors not yeah. that you shouldn't have have to be brave enough to leave an abusive relationship. You're right. So yeah, like, right, what? Like, why? There is um. Oh, Karen, tell us about the your counselling, or have you lost the train yeah, of thought because no, <laughs> I interrupted? I, I remember. I remember when I had stayed at my friend's because I, d- I used to go into work and say oh, I'm going to divorce him this week, and they go, No, you're not. And I go, Yeah, I am. And I'd have this little fantasy. I know we've gone back, but I have to tell you about the fantasy that I could divorce him whenever I wanted. And that was my coping mechanism that kept me going. I told you this either of I used to say, to my, I can divorce him whenever I want to, I can leave. And I used to have little fantasies. And that was the fantasy in my own head, like the fantasy of my perfect family life. That, that, that fantasy of being able to divorce him was what sort of kept me, kept me going. It, it, so it's like you weird. had a bit of control. Yeah, it made you feel it like you were like in control. I could go whenever I want, but it, it was my home as well. It was my house. I lived there. It was my home, and I, I mean, I just it got to the point where I just couldn't bear it anymore. Couldn't uh, just that up and down feeling that another Christmas ruined, another birthday ruined something else ruined just because if he saw me laughing if he saw me laughing with you that would be ruined he hated it when we laughed and then we'd get in trouble no no but just not you and me for laughing. all of us no I know all of us if we all laughed he'd walk in the room and we'd all like he'd make a face the face and we, we said that we talked yeah. about that the other day we talked about the face with controllers all of us we'd see the face and but eventually you lot remember one year you lot we, he was making the face and you lot just went into another room and watched a film <laughs> yeah me and my brothers and I just sat there with him in that other room desperately wanting to be with you because I could do you laughing and I just wanted to be over in the other room but I just thought I better stay here better stay here so he doesn't kick off yeah no. I mean me and me and my brothers formed we when we were together in that situation we were like one unit in a way to try and cope with it I think would yeah you say? like we just yeah. tried to like we get we'd give each other looks almost in a way of like protection and communication to each other oh god never ever it's making me worn out even thinking I've, I've got the pictures in my head and it's playing like the film 
But like, we go back to the counselling thing. When I left, I remember thinking, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back, but I can't trust myself not to go back. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. What am I going to do? And I remember phoning the women's aid going, please help me, please help me. And, and they did help me, and I did go for counselling, but whenever I drove my car around, I'd be scared that he was following me. Because he did follow me. Yeah, but that's that's because he did. Yeah, but well, he did follow me. Yeah. Um, and then I remember going to counselling and be, and then it was made that I was allowed to have a car parking space in the counselling place, and I was allowed to have this space every time I went, so that I could park around the back. So if he was driving past, he wouldn't see my car on the street, because I was scared. I was scared because I didn't trust him. Yeah, well, he did send a lot of threats, and it's ironic in a way because it was great that Women's Aid and the councillors helped you and and gave you that parking space, but the fact that it wasn't policed, I mean, the police didn't help us, really, in that sense. I know, they made and they could stupid. Have, yeah, they could have. Because I even remember when um, the police interviewed you and the policeman said... Well, you know, there's all those texts, but does he really mean it? You know, there's there's texts, but there's mm-hmm. a difference between texts and acting on them. And then I also remember the policeman speaking to me a week later and asking me about us giving a statement. And then um, we talked it through. And then he said, but your mum didn't say everything. She just said a few things. Why did she just say a few things? And I was like, I can't believe your lack of understanding of what a victim feels when they come out of a situation. Like, they're not going to be able to admit or go through every single thing. And just going back to what you said, that I remember to start with, even when you left, you still stuck up for him. And you still... But the reason why I'm saying this is because I'm not... You know, even the reason why we're doing this is not (laughs) to drag things up or it's to to use our our voices to be able to try and educate and to learn from it, which is so important because... Like I said, this is a mass, mass problem. And I think the more we try and understand and, and learn, and, and you know, somebody might listen to this and go, oh my gosh, I, I did that too, and it's okay. Because these are the, yeah. uh, uh, the, the processes almost. And it's like, you know, for, for a while, you couldn't, you couldn't admit no, what he done. I know, because I used to hide it. I used to hide it so much all the time. I'd walk into it like, yay! But actually, I thought I was putting on a good act, and then I realised I wasn't. But something because like that is really important for the police to understand. Yeah, well, I remember them saying, when and they said, well, why didn't you leave them? I remember, because we were... I was interviewed by two... They must have been about 24. You know, like, you, your own children sat across the table. And I remember talking to them, and it felt like it was insignificant, what I was saying... And also, because you're told whenever you say something, you're told in, in the relationship that you're in, that what you're saying is not true. So you second guess yourself, actually, was it true? Because you'll, you'll have a discussion with your partner, husband, and then they'll go, I didn't say that. And you'll go, sure, he said that. And they'll go, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. And then you start second guessing yourself going oh maybe he didn't maybe it's just me no it's just me that it's just me that so then you start not believing yourself so you actually feel like you're lying when you're saying it and then when you say it you feel like it's insignificant because oh no it doesn't matter because you're so used to being in it 
and you that, need to be made in significant. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it, you also it's make, like normalized. Yeah, I felt like yeah. everything that happened, and when I was growing up, that everything was just normalized. It yeah. was, it was, you know. You see, it was I didn't just even the know that then. I didn't know that then. What do you mean? Like I'd normalize it myself. I it there was things in my head like I kept saying before like I knew there was a change but I didn't know what it was so I'd like change the the colour of the walls or I'd read a self-help book because I had to change me because of course it was my fault because I was too emotional I was too this I was too tired which I'm too tired always tired oh yeah it's like now I can just tell anybody everything I don't care now I'm not I'm not ashamed. I, f- I feel, sometimes I feel really cross with myself. I mean, I went through probably about six months of going, I should have left then. Why didn't I leave then? Why didn't I leave then? There must have been. Yeah, I've heard you say that yeah, multiple uh, times. Uh, yeah, and you said, okay. I should have left when he did that to you, or I should have left then. And yeah, um, Because I mean, the thing now, about, I'd still say, yeah. I should have left then. But it, I didn't. And I can't change that and I'm just thank the Lord that I left now okay this is why I was so passionate the other day when I was talking to two years two years of goddamn hard work to get to where we are as a family where I am hard work of having counseling going with the um women's aid finding them women's aid said to me I, I can't help you anymore and then it was behind closed doors and then they stop you and not stop you, they help you understand the cycle and then make you go all the way back to the beginning, the first sign. Now I was able to be truthful with myself then and I shocked myself when the first red flag was really early. What was that? The first red flag. Are you the, right saying? The relationship. Yeah. What's the first red flag? You've known her for four hours and they asked you to marry him? Hmm? Yeah. Maybe. That might be one. Yeah, it happened really quick with yeah, him. Yeah, and it, it's standard. happens quick. They get you in. He owed money. Um, I got my dad to pay his debt off. He started being... You know, there's loads of them, loads of them. And I, I mean, um, I had to even write them down. I had to do a map them out. And I remember such... She said, I'm going to take you back to the beginning of the journey. This is going to be really hard. And I was like, yeah, whatever, it's not going to be hard. And it was hard. I cried for two days solid and felt so low and so depressed. But then you have to go back there to realise sort of what, what and why. I know why I did it. It goes back from history from when I was a kid, wanting desperately to be loved and wanting to be um, liked. I was always scared of saying the wrong thing just in case people don't like me. Or maybe nobody will love me. And then when you're told that, you know, you'll never find anybody else, you know, you're, you're too stupid, you're not clever, and oh, so many... You know, I'd put a bit of weight on it because fat. <laughs> it's a joke. It is a joke because you've never been fat. You're naturally thin anyway. Yeah. And yeah. really active. Yeah. And you but always have been. There was a, a, you know, there's a lot of... But even if you did put weight on, matter. it wouldn't matter what size you were. Because no, the thing about, the thing is, it's not about, 
it's anything. They would find anything. Mm. Oh, yeah, of course. They'd find anything to put you down. He didn't like it when I gained a bit of confidence. Didn't like it at all. Sometimes it's so hard to spot domestic abuse. Often victims don't know until after they've left the relationship that it was domestic abuse. And it isn't as simple as a checklist. Abusive partners never start out abusive. But as my mum said, there are red flags that start to appear. Discouraging you from seeing family and friends, looking at you in ways that make you feel scared, expecting you to spend all your time with them and making it seem romantic. Checking up on you, asking what you're doing, who you're with, being possessive, making you feel guilty for doing things, putting you down and making it out as if it was you. Saying things like, if you love me, you'll do this. And as my mum said, things moving very quickly in the relationship. Remember, it's always about power and control. It took a long time for my mum to leave, and it wasn't simple. The first two weeks of leaving domestic abuse are the most dangerous. I remember crying and desperately not wanting to go when you had to come back to do work. And I was, I think you didn't leave till like 11. And yeah, crikey, I remember crying and feeling that it wasn't loneliness because I was more lonely. I'd rather be on my own and more lonely in the relationship. It was scared. It was like what people call like a rabbit in headlights. So I don't know if that's the correct term. But deer in headlights. Deer, deer, <laughs> deer in headlights. Well, but I, was, I used to like think and not dream. I used to think he was hidden behind the curtains. He's going to come out and knife me. And this isn't a joke. I mean, when I look back now, that first couple of weeks, but I was warned about it. I mean, luckily, when I, I went to the doctors for another urine infection, and um, this doctor, incidentally, this doctor was a, a domestic violence champion. I don't think there are many of them, very far and few between. But I fell upon her and she said to me, she asked the question, she said, is there anything else? And I said, well, can I, uh, two things, obviously you're an infection. Um, number two, there's something else and I need to talk to you about this. And what do you think? And she said, it is domestic abuse you have to it is and she said right I need to talk to you and it's over 10 minute consultation I had well over half an hour and she said to me the first two weeks are the most dangerous she said so you must not tell him you are going and you have to gather all your documents which I'd already started doing because I checked out online what to do and you mustn't tell him and make sure you open a bank account I was like oh no I haven't got my bank account oh no what am I going to do and make sure you do this as and and you said he will try and commit suicide standard and I, I told her about certain things and she went oh yeah textbook textbook and then she said he'll he'll try to commit suicide and at the time I was like okay and I was very matter of fact I wasn't like oh, I'm not leaving because he's going to do that no I was like okay right and and then she said and then it's most dangerous so you must not go back you must not go back in the house, you must not go near him, no matter what. Okay, all right, okay then. So I went, opened the bank account straight from there, and um, then straight in the house, and so I've got all the certificates together, all ready in a handbag, just ready to go. And uh, all the things I had in the house, I just chose the clothes that I was going to wear and 
took these little buds. But it was a few days before I actually went. I don't know why we waited. Why did I wait? Because I, I think it's because it was New Year. So I'd already decided before Christmas that I was going to go. Yeah, because we were because we were trying to get we were trying to get everything ready. Yeah. for you to leave. That's why. But yeah. then he found out. He found out because and he, he found shouting. that you were getting the marriage certificate, yeah. and. So basically what happened was exactly what the doctor warned you would happen. Mm -hmm. The first thing he did was try and commit suicide, but he tried to get you to go with him by using the dog and lying to you, saying that you had to come and collect the dog. Um, Well, I knew because... But he was actually stood on a, a cliff by the sea. With the dog. With the dog. The dog was their puppy that my mum adored. So he tried to use that as a way to get my mum to come to him and get the puppy. He tried this several times, using different tools to manipulate even my brother. It is very common in domestic abuse that threats of suicide are used as a method of control, especially when the perpetrator feels like they are losing control, usually when the victim is trying to leave. I remember saying to you, do not go to him, do not go to him. And I kept saying, please don't you leave the the because at the time you were a friend I was like don't leave her house stay there stay there please don't go to him please don't go to him because the the, um a refuge that I've done a lot of work with the Liberty Center who was also featured in Undiscussable they said to me as well like because I phoned them up for advice and they said you know she must because I said he's saying he's going to commit suicide he's written a suicide note and 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 they said don't don't go don't make sure she doesn't go near him and actually we both should have known that because you know I hope it's okay to mention it but you had a friend yeah my friend um and that one of my brothers went to school with her son she got killed in that exact scenario and it's that like just uh, I mean it's thanks to her and thanks to that doctor that I didn't go back because nobody would have thought that was happened to my friend but that's what it was first time he tried and then she went to rescue him the first attempt. And then the second time she went back and then he got her, he killed her. I mean, it's just, it's just horrendous. And it's sad as well because it was hardly reported and she never had a voice. Oh, no, it wasn't she never reported. had a voice. It wasn't reported and that's the annoying thing. It wasn't reported in the papers. It's too, I, I don't know what it is. It's too, too scary for people to talk about because it's real. And it's happening every day. And somebody I know from work, actually, somebody else said to me, well, why didn't you leave earlier? And I just was just like, oh, I'm not even bothering to explain to you because you won't understand if you're going to say that to me. I'd have left, she said. Well, you wouldn't if you'd have been in my shoes. And I'll never, ever say that to anybody. Why didn't you leave? Never. And um, But then somebody else said to me, well, aren't we all in an abusive relationship? And I said, no, you don't have to stay in that relationship. And I was only out, I think I'd only been out like four months, four or five months, when people started then coming and saying things to me. Some people couldn't even, <laughs> some people just walked straight past me. They couldn't even speak to me. And this was at work. It's quite... Quite funny how people can't talk about it. But do you think it's also because sometimes it's it makes you 
to face that, it means you've got to reflect on maybe some of your own stuff. Yeah, well, that is it. You've got to reflect on your own. And also, it is, like, it is... Like, this is one of the things I've been trying to talk about, because it is... Domestic abuse is you say those words and there is something about those words that make people people not want to talk about it. It It's still so taboo. It It makes me feel sick saying domestic abuse. Why? Well, it's close to home. That's why. Because I've been in it mostly all my life. Because my brother, or not my brother anyway, but my brother bullied me. My mum corrects herself there as she is referring to her adopted brother. I was bullied from being very young by males, very young, and all I ever wanted was to have that, I just wanted that perfect family life, that family home security and love and care. I mean, I look back now, it's happened, and I can't change things that have happened. What I can do now is change things now in the future and help others if they need it and to know that it is okay and you can go and I the thing that I mourned the most was my home I wanted my home back I wanted my house and my home yeah because to leave him you had to I left everything you had to everything. leave everything and everything. that's what tends to happen is it's the victim that and I'm just using that term so we understand yeah, like that you you had nothing no I left everything everything I just chose like some clothes that are my favourite clothes that I would wear oh. <laughs> I'm laughing now because I think it's funny but it wasn't at the time and I had to sit outside Argos wait for Argos to open to then go and buy a suitcase to put my clothes in so it didn't look too bad having them in little bags I didn't have a car like, very lucky to have my adult children to help me with this. But what if I didn't have you guys? I didn't have a car. I didn't have anywhere to live. My mum stayed with a friend in the immediacy. He tried to find her address and told everyone, including my youngest brother, that she'd run off with a lesbian. Then I got her some temporary accommodation in the short term, which is what she mentions. We kept that address secret too but he found it by stalking her. After that, she ended up moving in with me to another city four hours away from her home. Thank you for listening. Please head over to part two of this bonus episode. Undiscussable is an independent production, investigated, hosted and produced by me, Charlie Webster, with production and editorial support by Tanya Hudson. Please head to charliewebster.com forward slash undiscussable for more details, help and support, and please share. If you would like to as well, we'd love for you to rate and review Undiscussable. This helps other people find it too.